generous, God. We need you. Lord, we need you to be the God of restoration. For some in this room, they need peace. They need hope. They need answers. God, we love that you've promised to be the same God that, you, that we read about in the old and the new and in the now. So Lord, we, we ask that you be in the midst of us in this place, that we leave challenged and changed and that we leave with the hope that's in your son, Jesus Christ. In your name we pray, amen. I, I grew up in church. I was raised in the church. If you were here uh, several, actually months ago now, we did a series on what's my story and, and in the in. At the, in the main sanctuary at, at church, a lot of the pastors shared their story, and, and Pastor Mark and I got to share ours here. So I'm not going to go too much into my story, but I was raised in church. I was raised around good people with good hearts, generous people. And I had a pretty good upbringing and childhood. And as a child, and some of you who were raised in the church, you know that sometimes church is something that's required, that you have to come to, and, and maybe that's some of you here today. Well, the beautiful thing about Warehouse Community and the stories that we've heard is that there are a lot of youth and young people who are bringing their parents to church because they want to be part of what is happening here. But for me, as a child, church was required of me. My parents are Hispanic. They're going to make you go to church, whether I liked it or not. But as I got older, in my teens, they said, you know, we don't care where you go to church as long as you're attending some form of church on Saturday. So that was the deal that we made. And so I went to church, and church, even though I wasn't going with them, it was still required of me. Then I turned 18, and I still lived with them, so they could still tell me what to do. But at some point in our life and in mine, church becomes optional. And then we have to make a decision whether it is still important for us, if church is still an essential part of our life. At some point of our life, we have to walk on one side or the other. Is church essential for us or if it isn't? At some point, it's required, and then it becomes optional, and then that's the decision that we have to make. So many times, and, and statistics show this, that a lot of people, once church becomes optional, they don't return until a specific point in their life, and that usually is when they have kids, because they want their kids to experience and, and want the fundamentals that they were raised with in the church, so there's this large gap where church is just an option and not a necessity or it's not essential for the people around us. And maybe you're one of those who say, yeah, I came back when I had kids and I, and I realized what I was missing out on. But at what point has church, coming to church, being part of a community, at what point was that an option for you? For me, it became clear that it was essential for me pretty early in life at a point 
where I came to the community that I was a part of very early in my life because it, was, it brought me hope. It brought me peace. I was amongst a lot of older people who attended this specific service, but I sat in the front right pew just because I felt like I was in a positive environment with people who had hope. They greeted me with smiles. They hugged me. They embraced me. There was a positive energy in the room that I knew that I just wanted to be a part of that, even though I didn't feel it at the moment, but I knew that that was essential for me to be a part of. Then church became a necessity. And at that point, the idea of giving was introduced to me. And at that point in my life, it didn't really make that much of a difference because I was in high school. I didn't make much money anyway. And then I went to college and I wasn't making too much money then. But at some point in our lives, we are introduced with this concept of giving. And we just went through a series with Pastor Matt on our freedom series and what it means to give. And, and, and you saw the stuff that we're trying to accomplish. But I want to talk about generosity as a whole and what that means for Christians, for us, and how we are called to be generous people. But maybe you come from a different background, but in church, when we talk about generosity, we usually attribute that and we tie that in with giving money, our tithing and our offering. And maybe you come from a different background or or a denomination that it works a little bit differently. And I'm just going to explain really quickly how it works in the Adventist church. You see, our church is based on mission. And the money that we contribute each week, the money that you give, your hard-earned money, that doesn't just stay here, but it goes to fund other ministries, other missions, other churches who are out in the middle of nowhere that can only minister to that group, a group that we could never touch. We allow for other things and other ministries to exist because we believe in the global mission of Jesus. So the money gets distributed in a million different ways, and we won't go into detail of what that looks like. But this idea of giving is introduced to you, and, and, and maybe for the first time, and you're wondering, what exactly does this mean? How am I supposed to interact with this? How does this apply to my life? And we know we're, we tithe 10%, and then offering is... A different story. But at the end of the day, Jesus, he calls us to give back. And yes, there's the obvious thing, like I said, the, the monetary and giving of what God has blessed you with. But we're called to be a generous people. And generosity in Proverbs 11, 24 and 25, it's attached with emotion. Generosity generates an emotion. The Bible says that we are to give cheerfully. Why do we give? What's your motivation to give? What's your motivation to be generous? And are you doing it from a cheerful place? In 2 Corinthians uh, verse chapter 9, We get to a point in the story where where Paul is actually giving of himself, and it's not what you would think. He's not actually contributing money, although he might have done some of that, but he is fighting for a group of people, and he is advocating for people to be generous, to help a group of people in need, and that is the Jewish people. 
And he is sent to receive a collection. So he starts this talk with how we are supposed to be generous. And he's raising this for the Jewish people who are in need of it. And he isn't just trying to convince people just to give so that he can become rich. But he's doing this from a place to help another. Another group of people. He's giving, he is sacrificing his time for the sake of a group of people. His passion lies within utilizing Generosity for the sake of a group of people in desperate need. This was Paul's reason for his sacrifice. For going to bat for a group of people who did not have a voice. This was Paul being generous. Sacrificing his time. He could have been on his own mission, on his own call, for his own purpose, for his own gain. Instead, he gives of his time Because he hears the voice of God telling him this is what needs to happen next. Many times, this is our motivation. We look at giving from a lens of the impact on how we can impact someone else. What am I going to give and how is that going to impact somebody else? I want to see that when I give, that it makes a difference. I want to see the result of my sacrifice. And many times this is the posture we take when we're generous. We want to see what we did. We want to see the impact of what we gave. Proverbs 11:24 says to give freely. To give freely means to live free. And this is the holistic approach to giving. It isn't just giving the 10%, the offering to a specific ministry, but it means a holistic approach to live a life of sacrifice, to live a life of service. If you haven't been to, or if you've never been to Southern Adventist University, um, I recently went, and that's where I went to school. I'm not... um, giving Southern a plug, but you should go there if you're considering. But I, we recently went up for alumni weekend, and I went, to, I went up to visit some of our students who uh, come to Forest Lake Church, and I try to go once or twice a year just to let them know we love them. I, we take them out to eat and, and just a time to say, hey, we still, uh, we see you as a part of our church, even though you're eight hours away. We love you. We care for you. And on our trip there, um, Vanessa and I and the two girls, we went up and we got to see the new student center. If you've never been to the student center, the new one, uh, it's drastically different than when I was there. And maybe you attended years ago, and it's very different. All we had in our student center was like a pool table and and maybe like some foosball uh, and like a, a TV. We go in and there's like three levels to this thing. There's like a CK2. It was usually, we had CK and KRs. They like put them together. And it's CK2. It's like on the third floor, I think. And then there's this like massive slide that goes from like the top floor down to the bottom. They have like this life-size bocce ball and like chess and checkers board that you can play. It's like turf on the first floor. And then they have these rooms. One of them is just for like pool table and like board games and all that. The second is a virtual reality gaming room. If I was a student in there now, I don't think I'd get anything done. 
We, we, were, we, were talk, we were joking about it. And we said, man, if we had this while we were on campus, I feel like, our, I mean, we just wouldn't have any, any time to really do anything because of how much. I mean, it's an amazing facility. And I'm pretty sure a lot of students go to Southern just because of that. I mean, I would have gone if it was up to me. It, it's, it's an incredible space. But I remember when I was at Southern, there was, there was still a lot to do. There was still a lot of activities. And I remember that I was a lot less productive when I took less classes. It was like time just was free. I could get things done whenever I wanted to. And it wasn't until I started taking 15 to 18 credits where I, I would panic and I would make the most of every time slot of my day because I was taking more classes and I had to be intentional with the time that I had because my schedule was full. I don't know if I would have time for the student center or maybe I would make time, but somehow, some way, with 18 credits, I managed to figure it out. That's just the way I operate. As humans, we usually operate better when we have things we have to do. Vanessa always says she'll go, she'll go visit her family in Chicago with, with the girls, and I, I, I'm lost. I have, like, no direction when they leave because I, I, I usually, I'm, I'm either with the kids or, or we're doing something with the family. When they leave, I, I'm like, my purpose, I don't have a purpose anymore. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I don't, I don't know how to function. But it's because when we are under pressure, when we have things we have to accomplish and we are disciplined with that, we are intentional and we make the most of every moment in our day. Some of you have children, you understand what it's like to get things done in a really short amount of time. And I remember before having our children, I wondered, I don't have time to do my work now. How am I going to do that with kids? You figure it out. You make time. You're intentional with the hours that you have. You maximize what you have to do within the time that you've been given. As we become free, more is added to you. We begin to invest in the people and in the places and the things that you've taken for granted because of its abundance. And maybe you think, I'm just a student, I don't make much money. You don't have to consider yourself wealthy to be generous. You can have extraordinary wealth, but lack extraordinary generosity. Wealth does not equal generosity. It's what we do with what we've been given that makes us generous people. Whether a lot or a little, that does not dictate how generous we can be, how intentional we can be with our time, with our money, with our spiritual gifts. We see evidence of this in Scripture where the poorest of the poor gives all that they have, and that is the extreme ideal of generosity. When we think about generosity, we always attach the idea with money. And although that is true, it is part of being a generous person, it's not all that we are called to be. We're not only called to be generous with what God has given us, our wealth, essentially. You've heard the phrase, time is money. Are we generous with our time? Are we intentional 
with our time? Do we calculate where we can best utilize our efforts, our service? To the colleague who's showing you all the warning signs of depression, of being in need, are we, are we there to hear the cries for help? Are we giving them our time? Are we hearing them? To the mother or the father who so desperately wants to reconnect with their grown adult child, but they don't have the time. To the son or the daughter demanding your attention just for that one moment to go play Barbies with them, to build their dollhouse. Do you make the time in the day to be generous for your children? Do you make the time or do you just have too much to do? Are we generous with our time? Are we generous with our money? Are you generous with the time you have to impact the people God has put in your life? What does it look like to make an impact on the people God has put in your life? You see, if we aren't intentional about our time, we don't manage our time correctly, then we miss out on opportunities to do what God has called us to do, to impact the people closest to us. My grandmother, Lucy Rivera, was her name. She passed away in 2014. And uh, one of the things, I, I remember thinking this through when she was in hospice. Um, we had actually come down from, at the time I was in seminary, and we knew that she wasn't doing well, that she just, she had, um, she was having surgery, and we wanted to see her, and, and actually Vanessa said, we should go see your grandmother, and um, just, to, just to give you an idea, my grandmother was like the matriarch, she made sure that Saturday lunches happened, we met at her house, um, I mean, every, our lives as a family revolved around my grandmother, I mean, she was the person that we looked towards, um, she meant the most to everybody, she was Vanessa's favorite person in, in my family. Uh, they got along so great. She sacrificed her time, her life, leaving where she was living to help raise me so my parents could work full time. So she was a big part of my life. And I, I remember in 2014 when, when um, she passed, I, I, I left Florida with a regret going back to Michigan. And I remember when I, when I was growing up and I was in Southern, at Southern in my undergrad, I, I would come down. She always would ask me to go to breakfast. Her favorite place was Perkins. She loved going to Perkins. And I, I still, it's the one, 441. Every time I drive by it, I, I, I just, I think of her. But she would say, hey, let's go to breakfast. And so many times I would make an excuse not to go. Part of the reason was because she would always send her food back like five times. It was the most, she would say, this, the eggs are too runny, they're too dry, the potatoes are too hot, this coffee's not good. And I remember sitting there and I'm like so embarrassed because she keeps sending this food back and I'm like, I wish she would just eat the food. I'm so embarrassed right now. And I'm, I'm like a, in, my, in my teens making time for my grandmother, but super embarrassed because she's doing this and and, I, and when she would ask me to go, I would make an excuse not 
to spend time with her. When in reality, that's all she wanted to do was spend time with the people she loved. To be generous with her, with her, with her time, with her love, her sacrificial love, to leave everything just to be with the people that she loved because she exemplified generosity. She didn't have much. She didn't have much money. I remember I would go back to school and she'd always try to slip me like a $50 bill to go out to dinner, to go do something. And I would always say, you don't have this. She's like, just take it, take it. She'd always bring me back, back when Beanie Babies was like a, a, a growing phenomenon when I was in fourth grade. She used to work at, at uh, what was Florida Hospital and she would go to the gift shop, and every time she got paid, she'd bring me back, from the money she would make, a couple of Beanie Babies. And I have a chest full of them. Like, it's insane, the amount of Beanie Babies that my children now play with. But she was generous with everything that she had. And it taught me a lesson, and, and I, I regret that I, I, I learned that lesson after she passed. And I can't wait to make up that time with her in heaven. But she was generous with the little bit that she had. She knew she was good with people. She knew that she could love people, and that's what she gave the most of was her love. Could I have been more generous with my time, with my love? Of course. And I'm sure some of you can maybe resonate with that experience or, or have some form of regret, but what are you doing about it now? How are you changing the trajectory of your future based on your experiences of your past? How can we be more generous? Time, money, resources, knowledge, skills, they're all gifts from God, but too many times we act like those things are things that we earned, that we were the ones that earned that money, that time, and those skills. We worked hard for that in reality, Anything good comes from God. When we lose sight of what matters, we forget the only one who matters. We use the argument that, that the money that we make, we should give back to God, and that is true, but what about the other things that he's given us? How are we giving back to God in our skills, in our talents, and in our time? Here's the beautiful thing about generosity. It's contagious. There's a video that I want to show you guys really quick. This is not another plug, but it is about Chick-fil-A. I know it's late and you guys are hungry, but it's a beautiful story that happened, and I want you guys to see this on what generosity can actually do. Take a look. The journey of a single mom, I don't think it ever stops. It is a continuous joy, but it is a continuous challenge. On a scale from one to 10, my schedule is very chaotic, very busy. You know, it starts from maybe six o'clock in the morning, getting up, getting everyone fed and off to school to dropping them off and different doctor's appointments and you know, by the time you turn around, it's already time for them to come home. You're preparing dinner, doing laundry, homework. My faith is the one 
most evident source that carries me from day to day. And without my faith, that I don't know where I would be. Out of any place I've ever been to, I've never felt as welcomed and wanted as I did at Chick-fil-A. I really wanted to be a part of a team that was so fixated on making sure the customer felt amazing. That is definitely what led me to pursue employment at Chick-fil-A. So when we uh, set up an official interview with Santiba, my wife was uh, involved in that process as well. And after the interview, she was just kind of wowed by her. Like She's just got something really special um, that we need to have on our team. I love my job so much, I was coming to work in a cab every day. We saw her one day a taxi pull up and I thought maybe she had car trouble that day. We kind of found out, talking to her, she was having you know, a taxi bringing her to work back and forth every day and spending money on that. So my key team members, we had a conversation about what could we do to help her. So we go back to working and days pass and Mr. Williams calls and he says, hey Santiba, why don't you come out back? I want, there's something I want to show you. So the team raised some money and um, looked for two or three weeks and, and found a van because she has several children that could transport her whole family and found that van and we purchased it um, as a store. I'm just thinking to myself, you know, I come to work every day and do my job because I love my job. It was the best feeling ever. I've never just received something that, and a gift from someone that felt so good. And I still help people and took people home if they needed a way home. And there's one particular man that would come in every day. His name was Mr. Larry. And one day I just said, you know, where do you go, Mr. Larry, every day? And he said, well, I just work up the street a couple of, a couple of blocks. And I said, well, you know, I have a van. How about you let me take you today. And this walk, it wasn't a couple of blocks, it was actually about six or seven miles up the road. And I just started taking him to work every day when I get off. It was just my way of feeling like, this is what I can do with what God has done for me. That's what goes on in Chick-fil-A. A lot of love, a lot of lessons, a lot of spiritual uplifting. It's, it's, it, there's no other place I'd rather ever work. It's amazing to me. Second Corinthians 9, 13-15 says this, Because of the service by which you have provided and proved yourselves, others will praise God for the, for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace that God has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Generosity is contagious. There's a saying amongst Christian leadership, and Mark has said this before, I know, vision leaks. Generosity also leaks. When we are generous, it inspires others to also be generous. It makes an impact on people. Sacrificial giving is inspirational to others around you. To truly sacrifice means that you are passionate about that one thing. If you want to experience discipleship, lead with generosity. 
How are you utilizing your skill to give back to the church? What skills has God given you that you could further move his mission within your community, within your church? We spent all last week talking about spiritual gifts. I believe wealth is one of them, for sure. We talked about needing all the components of a bike. He had my bike up here, and we were going through the things that you need in order for a bike to go forward as it was intended to. And I believe that God has put people in this church, in this space, with different gifts so that we can move forward as he intended us to. How are each of us contributing to the church with our time, with our money, with our gifts, with the skills that we have that God has given us? God has called you to be generous towards the church so that it can also move forward. There's nothing wrong with consuming. One of my authors, though, my favorite author, says this, never let consuming be more essential than contributing. Never let consuming be more essential than contributing. Sometimes we can apply that to how we view church. We're consuming what happens on Saturday morning is more essential than our contribution to the church. Giving is sacrificial, therefore it's giving grace. To be generous means to be graceful to others who maybe don't deserve that generosity, but it doesn't matter. To be a cheerful giver, to be a, a generous giver means to give freely and cheerfully. It means giving to those who may not deserve it, and it means to sacrifice when we become the most invested into something. When we sacrifice, we become most invested. Just this week, we were trying to figure out this Amazon Echo at the house, and um, Vanessa had asked me to fix it because we couldn't connect our Apple Music to the Amazon Echo, and she wanted to play some music, and it, we kept saying, sorry, you need Apple Music to do it. And I'm like, we have Apple Music, and it's connected. I see it on my phone. And so she asked if I could fix it, and so there I am, like, closing my account, opening it, restarting the Amazon Echo, like, trying to figure out how in the world this thing is going to connect. And I'm there, and, and she goes to the room, and I'm, like, still trying to figure it out. And I said, man, back when I was, like, in tune with technology, I could figure this out a long time ago. But I'm at the age now, I think, where I'm like, I don't know all the settings of things anymore. And so I'm here like restarting, new password, and I'm like, I see, it, it's like open your Amazon Echo app to change it. And I'm like, if, I could, if you could hear what I'm saying, it's connected. So Vanessa comes out of the room, she's like, you don't have to worry about it anymore, like just, just leave it alone. I'm like, I'm too invested. I cannot stop now. I'm going to figure this out. Because I had spent so much time trying to figure out how to connect Apple Music to this Amazon Echo. I was in too deep. Too much of my day was spent on this, and I was going to figure it out. And I did. I figured it out. We have Apple Music in the house, and it's great. Thank you. I was hoping for an applause because I worked hard for that. 
But when you invest so much into something, you want it to work out. There's this joke, and, and uh, you guys know I do CrossFit, and, and I don't like to talk about it too much because I don't want to be the walking joke about, have you heard it before? How do you know if someone's a vegan or a CrossFitter? The first thing they tell you. I don't want to be that guy. But there's something beautiful about the CrossFit community. And I remember when I used to go to uh, just a regular gym, I made friends with one of the managers of just like a, a, a Globo gym. And he said, you know, we make our, our, membership, our memberships so cheap so people don't come. He said, uh, the, the reality is we want to get as many memberships as we can, but we want to keep this place empty. And I was like, that's, that's interesting. And when I used to coach at a CrossFit gym, people would ask me, why is this so expensive? And I, I remember going through like the, the training of it and, and, the, and the methodology behind CrossFit and why it started. And part of the reason why they make it so expensive is because they want you to feel that money coming out every month. They want you to know, I've invested this much. I'm going to see a change. I'm going to see a difference. When we invest in something, we're passionate about it. We're intentional about it. When we, when we invest our time, our money into something, we want to make sure that it works. We want to see it succeed. Are you investing in your church with your time, with your efforts, with your skills, with your sweat equity? Because when you do, they'll care more a lot about it. Jesus was intentional with his generosity. The woman who's in the crowd who just needs to be healed. She says, if I could just touch the hem of his garment, I know I'll be healed. So she does, thinking nothing's going to happen. And Jesus feels something leaving his body. And in the crowd of what could be thousands, he stops and he makes time for this woman and I can imagine them tugging on him and the disciples trying to get him to go on with the mission that he has to accomplish. But in the midst of his busy life trying to save the world, he makes time for this one person. He shows her the value of being generous with what you've been given. And in the midst of the chaos, he's intentional with this woman. To be generous requires humility. It's understanding that your time on earth is a gift, that your spiritual gifts are just that. They are gifts from God. Your wealth is because of how good Jesus is, and he gave you that wealth because he knew that you could make a difference with that wealth. He knew your heart. That's why you have that wealth, to make a difference for him the wealth that you have is intentional and God allowed you to have that sacrificial giving requires work imagine having three years to develop 12 leaders to carry the message that will save humanity and, the minds, and in the midst of all that, to make time for the people who may not even want to know or care what you have to say. 
That was Jesus' situation. If you say, I don't have time, imagine having three years to develop 12 leaders to carry a message that would change the world and still he makes time for the one sick person. Sacrificial generosity requires work. It means moving away from putting yourself first and putting others in that place. It means asking God, where do I spend my time, my efforts, my resources? God, with with the skills that you've, you've given me, how can I best utilize them in my day? I know we all have busy schedules. We have a lot going on, and there are things that we have to accomplish. But remember, the time you've been given, the things that you have to accomplish, that's the grace of God. How are we utilizing what we've been given to further his mission as a church? Sacrificial generosity gives with no strings attached. The number one question most pastors get when they go to a new church is this. How do we keep our young people from leaving the church? Invest in them. Show them you care. Don't just fund their pizza party. Give them responsibility. Show them what it means to sacrifice. Sacrifice for yourself. Show them that you are giving. Maybe it's making them be part of difficult decisions in the church. Let them know that their value, their opinion matters and that you want them to be part of the future of the church. Don't just expect them to be part of what's already happening. Young people have good ideas too. My first church in Atlanta, there was an older generation who gave most of the money. They, they, they funded the church and I was in charge of this other service that was younger, young families. And, and we had to meet at nine o'clock and the older older service, older group, I'll call them that. They met at 11. The holy hour of church services is 11 o'clock, in case you didn't know. And they made a difficult decision to allow the younger service to meet at 11. And how this church was structured, it was actually a, a, used to be a Korean church. It was um, multi-generational. And I mean, there was tons of different cultures in that church when I got there, but there was a, a, the Korean church was predominantly how it started and that Korean group decided to take the earlier group, although they were the ones who were funding everything in the church, they had the money. And the way we did our, 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 um, our numbers and, and, and finance meetings is they would split up the two and see who was giving what. Within a year of that happening, the younger generation church was giving more than the older people and they knew in that moment that they had done something special because they sacrificed they were generous to a group of people who saw the future who were the future of the church if you want to see change be generous be willing to sacrifice your time your preferences the things that maybe make you a little uncomfortable those are the things that have to happen to change the future of the church. We are called to be generous people. 
church is essential. That's why you're here. You recognize your need for something more. Sometimes that's the requirement. We ask God, God, can you, if you can just do this, I'll, I'll, I'll give more of my time. He's done enough. He gave his life so that you could live forever. That's all he had to do. There's nothing else he has to do for you to be a generous person because he did that already. Where can you give more? Winston Churchill says this, we make a living by what we get. We make a life by what we give. Are you just making a living? Are you making a life? Is consuming greater than your contributions to the world? Are you making a living or are you making a life? If you want to just get by in life, be the recipient of all things. If you want to live a life that God has called you to, to be cheerful and full of great things, be the giver. If you believe in the gospel and you believe in the story that this book tells, then there should be no other reason needed than the fact that Jesus gave his life for you and for me. We give because he first gave, and that's enough. How can we as a church be more generous, and where is God calling you to be part of history? May we be a church that gives freely, that gives cheerfully, that knows that when we we sacrifice, we are only sacrificing what God has given us, and that is worship. May we never forget ultimate gift was paid. May we make a life and not just a living. Father God, Lord, we thank you for your generosity. Lord, we thank you that you gave it all. And in return, God, for the little that we have, Lord, sometimes we feel like scripture, the stories in scripture where we, we give all that we have and it, though it isn't much, Lord, it makes a difference in the people around us and in us. Lord, may we be givers. May we receive what you have given us, the gift of freedom, a gift of eternal life, God, the gift of grace, of love, and may we share that however you have called us to do that, whether in our finances, in our skills, in our love, in our time. May we sacrifice it all for your glory. In your name we pray.